We, uh, a couple of months ago, we started, or a couple of weeks ago, we started a series called Lifehouse. Uh, it's built around this parable that, that Jesus tells about a house that, that a demon occupies, an evil spirit occupies, and, and the spirit's kind of driven out. And after wandering in the desert for a little while, the, the spirit returns to the house and, and finds that that thing that drove it out is gone. The house is empty. Everything is clean and swept and everything is, is, is in order, but it's empty. And so the demon return, goes out and, or the unclean spirit goes out and finds more spirits, even more unclean than itself. And they come and they occupy the space. And, and, and kind of the moral of the parable is that when you take things out of your life, when you take sin out of your life, you must put good back in. You must occupy that space with Christ, with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And if you don't fill that space with Christ, what will inevitably happen? It'll come back around to you. And so this series about Lifehouse is about filling our houses, filling our, our lives with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Not just so that we can be filled, but so that we can teach others. Matthew 28, 19. So that we can teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. And so this is all about filling our lives and filling our neighbors' lives with the teachings of Jesus. And so what are the essential teachings of Jesus. Well, today I know you're going to be very excited to hear that we are talking about wealth. We're talking about money. And, and there's, a, there's a good reason for this. And the reason is that Jesus talks about wealth. And Jesus talks about money. In fact, he talks about it a lot. He talks about wealth. He talks about money. He talks about riches more than he talks about heaven and hell. 11 of 39 parables that we have of Jesus are about wealth, are about money. One in every seven verses in Luke is about, you guessed it, wealth. In fact, there's only one subject in all four Gospels that Jesus talks about more then he talks about wealth, then he talks about money. Do you know what it is? It's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So today we're going to look at a couple of teachings about wealth, about what this world honors. The first comes from Luke chapter 12. Read along with me. It'll be on the screens. Jesus tells a story about a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, the rich man said to himself, what should I do? Remember that question. We're going to come back to it. What should I do with everything that I've accumulated? What should I do with everything that I've been able to produce? What should I do with all of these great riches that, that I have accumulated, that I have earned? What should I do with all of these things that I have? What should I do I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back in my lounge chair on my wide porch and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and you know the next one? Be merry. But God said to him, what are the next two words? You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, 
but not have a rich relationship with God. Do you think God wants you to be rich? Do you think God wants you to be wealthy? So some, okay, occasionally I, I'm up late at night and, and I stumble across that channel with the, with the TV preacher guy. Um, you know, I'm a preacher. He's a preacher. But I feel like we're not exactly the same. Uh, I, maybe I hope not. Um, because the guy on TV tells me that God wants me to be rich. Uh, the guy on TV uh, who, who's preaching frequently tells me that, that um, if, if I'm good, then God is going to bless me with money. That God is going to bless me with, with wealth. Like, ha- have you ever heard this? Like, if we kind of live right with God, then God will bless our lives and we'll have nice houses and cars and all of this kind of thing. Like, have you, have you heard this Kind of, kind of being preached, this, the, this kind of prosperity gospel. Um, uh, I would love to preach this gospel. I mean, it, it seems very, uh, very convenient uh, in, in a lot of ways. And it, it's not a new gospel. I mean, in the first century, this gospel existed just as, just as much as it does today. Like wealth and, and the winning lottery ticket means that you are really doing things right in the eyes of God. But when we look deeper into Jesus' teachings about wealth, and, it, and clearly he talks about wealth a lot. He talks about uh, this wealthy farmer. But if you look at this story, the wealth, the, the accumulation this farmer has, um, the wealth in this story is, is kind of like the ring of power in Lord of the Rings. You know what I'm talking about? Are there any Lord of the Rings fan here? So the, the, the ring of power, yeah, I know who they are. Um, the, the ring of power in and of itself is not that, that dangerous. You know, it can sit in an envelope on your mantle and be just fine. It can sit at the bottom of a river and be just fine. But the ring of power has this thing, when you touch it, or when you hold it, or when you put it on, what does it begin to do to you? begins to change you. It, 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 it has this, this, this spell that it casts over you. It, it, begins, it starts to take over. It, it begins to consume you. And if you remember the character Gollum in, in Lord of the Rings, like when he holds it and he strokes it, he begins to call it his precious, and he, and he begins to have a conversation with it. It sounds a lot like the, the wealthy farmer in our story. This is the only parable that I know of that, that a farmer, that, that a character actually has this internal dialogue with himself. Do you, did you see it? Did you notice it? He even refers to himself as myself. My friend, what will we do with all that we have accumulated? Do you see how this kind of plays out? Like, like this wealth has, has taken him over. It's a tough thing because maybe like a, like a good hobbit, some of you have the ability to kind of resist this temptation. And, I, and I've seen this, and I've seen this in people. There was a couple that we lived with, and uh, while we were in Texas, we were waiting for our house to be finished. We lived with this couple. They were super generous to let us stay in their pool house. 
Um, the guy was the CEO of a major company, corporation. He was also on the board of American Airlines. Uh, he had this really cool card that he could get on any American airline flight at any point in time, just walk up and show it. Uh, really neat. Um, he had the kind of salary that, uh, that uh, is published in the newspaper every year. And this guy had this kind of hobbit-like ability to, to not be corrupted by the wealth. You know, it, it seemed to me that wealth was his ability. He had, he had it seemed a God-given gift to create wealth and use wealth. And, and I know it was God-given because he was also the most generous person that I've ever met in my whole life. And gave money away like, like, like it was nobody's business. But I wonder if, if many of us have this kind of ability to resist the temptation of wealth. Can you imagine maybe that, um, I, I know this is hard to imagine and so contrary to what you might hear on TV but maybe God is blessing you by keeping you from being wealthy. Maybe God's blessing you by keeping that ring of power out of your hand. I know that's not a very popular thing to think about. But why would God bless anyone with something that is potentially dangerous? You know, if God is this, is this good father, why would, why would God bless us with something that might compete for his place in our heart? I love what John Wesley said, you know, the, the, the famous preacher, pastor. He said, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it finds its way into my heart. No, it seems like if God was going to bless you, it seems like he would want to bless you with something not that, not that we deem to be valuable, but he would want to bless you with something that he deems to be valuable. So what is truly valuable to God? What is truly valuable to God? Um, I'll try to explain it this way. Uh, if I brought my two-year-old son, Cannon, up here, and, and behind my back, I had a, a bucket of, of sand from the beach. And, and in my other hand, I had a, a handful of $100 bills. And I held them out, and I said, Cannon, you can have one or the other. Which one do you want? Which would he choose? He's going to choose the bucket of dirt 10 times out of 10. I'm just telling you right now, he is two years old. Now, his mommy and I would choose something different for him, right? <laughs> like we would. We would, we would choose the money every time. And, and what's the difference? But the difference is that we have a completely different perspective about what's really valuable than he does. Right? Cannon is young and impulsive, and, and he doesn't have the, have the maturity to know, hey, that money could go. That, you could buy 100,000 buckets you know, of sand for, if you, if you just took the money, no, he's going he's gonna to go after that, that impulse, that thing that he thinks is valuable. And in the story, Jesus calls this rich farmer, this wealthy farmer, he calls him a fool twice. 
And that word fool just simply means someone without perspective. It it means someone lacking the overall picture, someone who is nearsighted, right? It doesn't mean they're unintelligent. It just means that they're not seeing things clearly. And like the rich farmer, Cannon wouldn't have the vision to be able to distinguish what's truly valuable. And it's unlikely, I think, that God is going to bless you with a winning lottery ticket because to God, a winning lottery ticket is no more valuable than a bucket of dirt. Are you with me? What is a million dollars worth to God? It's just dirt, right? To him, to God, from his perspective, it has no value. But if you and I will put down the dirt and trust him, he will show us the one thing in life that is truly valuable. Look what he says. Yes, a person is a fool to store up dirt, right? A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich, and that word is put in there on purpose, rich relationship with God. You see, the farmer's sin, this wealthy farmer's sin, is is not that he's wealthy. His sin was his reliance upon self. As he has this kind of internal dialogue, listen closely. If you read back through it, look look at it as he talks to himself. It's almost as if He is praying to himself. I've got everything I need. Man, I've been able to accomplish a lot. Look what I'm doing. And these barns that he builds become these kind of monuments to himself. They become monuments to his ability to provide, to to, um, self-provide. They become these these monuments to these shrines, these idols, these holy temples to his power of self, his power of provision. He doesn't need God, right? And there's, there's that, that crazy dangerous side of it is if you had everything you ever wanted, would you still need God? Would you still desire him or would these things take his place in our heart? And so to not be a fool, we have to open our eyes. We have to change our perspective. We have to be able to see the big picture. We have to see with the the same kind of value that God sees things. We have to fix our eyes on on something different. And I love uh, Donald Miller recently quoted that if you want to change your behavior, don't, don't try to change your behavior. Instead, change that thing which you worship. Because behavior follows worship. If we can fix our eyes on something we worship, our behavior will follow. And so a few verses down, as Jesus kind of digs deeper into this teaching, digs deeper into the story, in verse 31, Jesus says, I want you to change your vision about what's really important. Remember, what was the one thing that Jesus talks about more frequently than money? What was it? The kingdom of God. And so Jesus, in verse 31, says, after a couple of verses, if you read it, it's the don't worry section. 
Jesus tells a parable about money, and then he goes into this long diatribe about not worrying. Do you think he knows us? Says, says the lilies of the fields aren't worrying. The, the ravens, even the unclean ravens aren't worrying. I want you to look to me for everything. I want you to trust me for everything. They trust me. Can't, can't you trust me? Don't trust in wealth. Don't trust in yourself. Instead, change your vision. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Before anything else, seek the kingdom of God. And if you can do that, he will give you everything you need. This is what it means to have a right relationship with God. When he says you're foolish to trust in, to, to seek after earthly wealth, instead, Work on a right, a rich relationship with God. A rich relationship with God is a relationship in which you are fully dependent upon God for everything. That's what God wants. Not in a kind of cruel, vindictive way, but God wants you to depend on him, to trust in him. Look back in your faith life. The moments that your faith became the most alive, I guarantee you, are the moments when you needed God the most. The moments you have been closest to God were the moments where you had to, because of a situation, depend on him to come through. And God says, those moments of dependence, those moments where you're seeking after me and nothing else, no other answer would, would suffice, those moments are what it means to have a rich relationship with God. And so blessing becomes this thing, God's blessing. You know, we kind of talked about this prosperity gospel. You know, if you go to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus starts with blessed are. Blessed are the, he doesn't say the rich or those with Maseratis or those with Lamborghinis, right? He said blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and he literally means the poor. Why? Who needs God more than them? Who has a greater opportunity to have a rich relationship with God than someone who is poor? God wants you to be blessed. I have no doubt of that. God wants you to be rich, but not in the way Donald Trump is rich, but in the way that Mother Teresa was rich. Are you with me? Real value is to be dependent upon God, to be drawn near to him. I love uh, Abraham Lincoln was once, he was, he was chastised for, for praying so often. Hey, you're taking too much time praying, which can you imagine saying this to Abraham Lincoln? It's just crazy. But he replied, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for that day. Abraham Lincoln said, I would be the biggest fool of all, like the rich farmer, to think that I can somehow manage this, I can do this on my own. Lincoln knew the truth. He knew a truly rich man is one who depends on God. Everything. That's what it means to be rich. To need God. 
How many American Christians need God? Man, that ring of power is here, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's so tempting and consuming. And God says, no, I want you to have a rich relationship with me. And to do that, you, you, you're going to seek me first. And when you seek me first, man, you don't have to worry because I'm going to give you everything you need. So another story about wealth. One of my favorites. Luke chapter 16 and verses 19 through 31 Jesus says there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. It's interesting, only, only parable where Jesus ever named someone by, by name. Uh, very, very interesting. So there's a wealthy guy and a guy named Lazarus who lays at his gate. And Lazarus is covered with sores, and as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. I love scripture. You know, uh, in our world, you know, we think of dogs as these kind of cute little cuddly things we put in our purse and we tote around and all that kind of stuff. You know, dogs are, are these nice pets, but, but that's not how dogs are in the third world even today. In the first century, dogs are these despised things. They're the, they're the trash compactors. You know what I'm saying? Like, like they're gross. And no one in the first century, no one in Jesus' day would have had a dog as a pet. You know, they are, they are the ones who get rid of the waste. Does that make sense? Uh, they, they, are, they are the ground buzzards, right? And the image in this story is that Lazarus is so destitute, so lowly, that he can't even keep the buzzards off of him. That's the picture. Let's keep reading. Finally, the poor man died. And this is a relief, right? Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died and was buried. And his soul went to the place of the dead. The language is, is Hades. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. This, is, this story is going to get really graphic. And, and I don't know if it's, if it's literal or it's just supposed to meant to, to scare us, but there's this great image of both men die and they go to different places, but they can see each other somehow, right? They're, they're, and maybe that's what makes one heaven and one hell or, or, or makes it worse is that they're not separated. Like, like they're separated, but they can see each other and they can even hear each other because the rich man shouts out, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his sore encrusted finger in water and cool my tongue I am in anguish in these flames. So we begin to learn more about these two places, right? This place of a dead is, is, is a place of anguish. He says he is in anguish in these flames. And he's also in anguish because he can look across and see Lazarus, and Lazarus can even hear him, right? That's how close it is. Lazarus can hear him cry out for pity. 
But Abraham answers, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. And so now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. Let's keep going. And besides, Abraham's still speaking. There is a great chasm separating us, so we're learning more about this space, right? These two places, there's, there's a gap, a chasm between them, and no one can cross over to you from here, and no one from that side can come there. It's, it's a picture of this is, this is it. This is the way it is. And the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home. So the rich man has stopped begging for himself, but now he's turned his attention to those who are in that earthly place still. At least send him to my father's home, for I have five brothers, and I want him to warn them so that they don't end up in this place of torment. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. It's this, it's this kind of... Um, <laughs> Harsh, harsh, like, you had your chance, they'll have theirs. And look what he goes on to say. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, they're not going to listen. I didn't listen, they're not going to listen. But if someone is sent to them from the dead, this is great foreshadowing in Scripture, right? Uh, if, if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. I love the irony of this because the other character is Lazarus, someone who is raised from the dead. Jesus is the one who is going to be raised from the dead, is telling this story. If, if just someone from the dead shows up, that would be all the evidence that anyone would ever need to believe, right? And Jesus telling this story says, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets... They won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. It's a painful, hurtful story. But Jesus knew even in his death that there would be those who would not heed the warning. So as we wrap up, I want to come back to, um, do you remember the rich farmer's question? When he looked at all of his wealth and all the, the massive crops that had come in, more than could fill his barns, do you remember what he asked? He said, what should I do? I think that is, that is the question for all of us. I think that is the question that Jesus is seeking to answer, to help us answer. It is the question of what should I do? And, and the first answer to that question is don't be foolish. Don't be near-sighted. We have to have a different set of eyes to determine what is, what is valuable. When Jesus tells these stories to the Pharisees, it says they scoffed at him because of their wealth. They couldn't see it. So don't be foolish. Don't settle for dirt but gain perspective of what is truly valuable. 
Donald Miller recently, uh, recently said, one day we're all going to die, and on the day we die, we're all going to realize that the only thing that matters in this life is relationships and that we watch too much TV. Don't settle for dirt. What should you do? We must change the object of our worship. I would move you, I would pray for you to, to, to be in a position where you are reliant upon God again. Do you trust God enough to depend on him? Are you trusting God with your decisions? Are you trusting him with your checkbook? Are you trusting him with your career choices? Are you trusting him with everything? In everything, are you seeking the kingdom of God above all else? Because when we do, he says that he will provide. And when we change that object of worship, our behavior will follow. Our behavior will change. When we seek the kingdom of heaven first, our, our behavior will follow that. And in verse 33 of Luke 12, he says, Jesus, in response to this, what should I do? Jesus' response is, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven in the story of rich man and Lazarus, the poor guy at the rich guy's gate. Again, the sin was not that the man was wealthy. The sin was that he saw Lazarus as only a part of the landscape. Right? Lazarus was as much a, a tree, a bush, a flower pot as anything else. A, a couple of weeks ago, we did this, this serve Sunday. We canceled our service, and we sent everyone out to serve. And some of you, the very first thing you said was, I don't know who is hungry. I don't know anyone who has a need. And the warning is, have people and the needs of people around you become just a part of the landscape? And so Jesus says, we, we got to be aware of this. we got to be aware of this. I, I challenge you to, to warn you about wealth and, and its, its, its power and, and how it affects your ideas about self and provision and how it affects others. And so Jesus says, what should you do if you have so much, if you've been blessed, if you have all of these things, if you have this great amount of wealth? Jesus' answer is very, very simple. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. There was another wealthy man that had this same question for Jesus, right? A, a guy who had done everything. He followed the letter of the law even when asked what's most important. He knew the answer, and Jesus says, yes, you've answered correctly. Now go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man went away dejected and sad. If you want to fight the power uh, of the ring of power. Jesus says to sell your possessions and give to those in need. Put yourself again in a place of not depending on your own wealth, but depending on God for everything. And it'll be a scary place, but you will breathe some fresh air like you haven't breathed in a long time. To intentionally 
constantly be putting yourself in a position for God to provide. And so I give this, uh, I, I give this to you as, as, a, as not just a suggestion, but an action step for this week. Sell something. Um, be brave. Make it hurt. Sell something you really value. And give to those in need. And you will be investing in a retirement plan that's going to pay out way more than your 401k is. Don't take this phrase just as metaphor or as teaching, but take this as instruction. These are the kind of teachings we fill our lives with, right? Show your kids, get them involved. Let's sell something. And whatever we sell, we're going to give to those in need. Jesus says, I know the power of the ring. I know the power of the one ring. Beware of it. Beware of it. Beware of it. So this week, your challenge is sell something and give the money to someone in need. Finally, I want to just uh, give you this one last, one last word. Don't ask for whom the bell tolls because it tolls for you. The rich men, everybody in these parables dies, right? They die suddenly and unexpectedly. No one was planning for it to happen. And in that, there is this great warning about our vision Jesus can look around the corner. He can see what's coming. He can tell us that the tracks are out. But will we trust that vision? Do you think our American nation has heeded Jesus' warning about the corruptive power of wealth? Have you? I love the, the, that in both of these stories, too, you see the connection that this life, the one that you're living and breathing right now, and the life to come are intimately connected together. Do you see that? Um, one of my favorite lines from um, uh, Gladiator, the Russell Crowe movie. Uh, it's a movie guys like, ladies. Um, he says, uh, he says um, what we do now echoes in eternity. Isn't that true from these teachings? There is a message of seizing the moment about don't wait, don't delay. This is our chance right now, right here, life and death, heaven or hell. It is up to you. And God and Jesus and the angels are standing on the sidelines begging and pleading that you would just trust God, that you, would, that you would get rid of all of these other idols that you have in your life and that you would give everything to God to seek him first above everything else so that you could be with them. But they know it's your choice. They can only show you the way. One final word about um, prosperity gospel. The only thing of value in this world 
is a rich relationship with God. Your relationship with God is the only thing that you have that has any value. Everything else is buckets of dirt. The blessing God has given all of us, the most valuable gift God has ever given is his son, Jesus Christ. He hasn't blessed you with lottery tickets or houses or cars. He has blessed you with his one and only son. Can I get an amen? The most valuable gift God has ever given is his son, sacrificed so that all of us, sacrificed so that um, all that has separated you from God would be removed, so that you might have a right, a rich relationship with God, that we might be his sons and daughters, his own children, his heirs. If there is any prosperity gospel, it is that fact. That through the blood and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are his heirs, his own family, his children. And this is what it means to be truly, truly rich. So I'm gonna in just a moment, I'm gonna send you out to a time of communion. We've set up communion tables around the room, and I know it's a little bit different. Uh, from, from some of our traditions and some of the things we've grown up with. But on each table is a, a cup representing the blood of Christ and, and the bread which represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And as you, uh, in just a moment, I'll say a prayer. I'll dismiss you to, to go to those tables. I invite you to, to gather around and, and pray with spouses or, or to take communion together. Or if you're more comfortable, I invite you to, to have a, a time of private communion, private worship. It is just a space for you to commune with God. Maybe it's this, this is your chance to come clean. It's not just a, a, a communion, but it is a chance for you to respond. Maybe to turn over those things that you've been idolizing. Maybe to confess to God how you've been relying too much on self and you're ready to focus on him again. Maybe to give a list of things that, God, I'm going to sell this week so that I can see others not just as part of the landscape, but so that I can see others the way that you see them. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will hate the one and love the other. Jesus says you cannot love both God and money. And as we enter into this time of communion, I pray to God that in this moment you make that choice. Maybe you make that choice for the hundredth time, but you make that choice to make God, to love God, to pursue his kingdom above all others, and that you remember that it is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes that possible. You can have no relationship with God outside of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me?
Father God, we come before you now, humbly before your words. We, we heed your warning and, and we, we heed your teaching. But Father God, don't let it just stop at our ears. Let it go to that deeper place in us. Whatever, whatever ego, whatever pride, whatever arrogance, whatever idols that we're holding on to this morning, Father God, I pray they would be released, that we would seek you and your kingdom above all else, that we would let go of all things, that we would desire a rich relationship with you over any of the dirt that this place has to offer. Father God, there's some of us in this room that have, we've just gotten sideways and our priorities have gotten skewed. And in these moments, God, I pray that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would do a work of straightening us out. That you would draw us with, with love and with tenderness back in line with you. That God, in this moment, as we commune with you, as we literally commune with, with your son, Jesus Christ, as we remember his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that Father God, our lives would be in line with his. And so God, we confess to you all of our sins. We, we turn over to you our, our, our checkbooks and, and our bank accounts. Father God, we choose you in these moments. Give us courage. We love you, Father. And in your Son, Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to stand up and enjoy a time of communion together.